0: Before we start the show, I wanted to say thanks for listening. We want to bring you the best show we can, and sometimes it takes us a week or two to cut, edit, and present you something polished. But if you're the kind of person who wants to hear the long version, with no frills, and wants it as soon as possible, we're now putting our Ready Player Two episode reviews on Patreon. Pay as much as you think is fair, and get access to uncut episodes just hours after we record it. Join our community of gunters at patreon.com forward slash get to the good part no spaces. Now, on to the show.
2: This is Aaron from the show. First of all, thank you for listening. Once you finish listening to this episode, do us a solid. Go ahead and give us a rating and write a review of the show. This lets us know that we're doing a good job and helps other people find us. And speaking of other people, if you know someone who might enjoy the show, we would love it if you told them about it. We can be found at gttgp.com. There's tons of stuff on there. You can learn more about us. There's an episode guide. And of course you can find our social media pages where we love geeking out with our listeners. Now, let's get to the good part. This is Aaron from the show. First of all, thank you for listening. Once you finish listening to this episode, do us a solid. Go ahead and give us a rating and write a review of the show. This lets us know that we're doing a good job and helps other people find us. And speaking of other people, if you know someone who might enjoy the show, we would love it if you told them about it. We can be found at gttgp.com. There's tons of stuff on there. You can learn more about us. There's an episode guide. And of course, you can find our social media pages where we love geeking out with our listeners. Now, let's get to the good part.
1: An unexpected quest, two worlds at stake. Are you ready? Days after Oasis founder James Halliday's contest, Wade Watts makes a discovery that changes everything. Hidden within Halliday's vaults, waiting for his heir to find, lies a technological advancement that will once again change the world and make the Oasis a thousand times more wondrous and addictive than even Wade dreamed possible. With it comes a new riddle and a new quest, a last Easter egg from Halliday, hinting at a mysterious prize. And an unexpected, impossibly powerful and dangerous new rival awaits, one who'll kill millions to get what he wants. Wade's life and the future of the Oasis are again at stake, but this time, the fate of humanity also hangs in the balance. Lovingly nostalgic and wildly original, as only Ernest Cline could conceive it, Ready Player Two takes us on another imaginative, fun, action-packed adventure through his beloved virtual universe and jolts us thrillingly into the future once again. Holy shit, dude, that's amazing.
2: Welcome to Get to the Good Part. This is Aaron. And this is Chris. I'm sure you've all heard by now, if you're listening to this podcast, you know what just happened. Ernest Klein was being interviewed by Will Wheaton at New York Comic Con, and we got to hear the book flap synopsis for Ready Player Two. I think it provided some new information, not too, too much new information compared to the synopsis that was... Leaked by Books a Million.
0: Yeah, it really kind of trickles down to uh, just a short bit, a little bit, because the majority of the video really is back and forth loving between the two, between Will Beaton and Ernest Klein, and that's great and all, but what I was really hoping for was. Much, much more, something to kind of dig in, but instead it was more like an interview and, and a couple of choice questions. But we did get to that one part at about the about the mid 19-minute mark, where Ernest Klein sends him the the dust cover for the book, and in that is definitely different. Before we had a, a good bit of discussion about. Where does this all begin? How many years down the road? You know, what's changed since the end of the first book and the beginning of the second book? And, and all the speculation in the world really does kind of depend on whether or not this picks up 10 years later, 20 years later, 50 years later with maybe his kid, 50, you know, it it it's it's hard to say.
2: We certainly went through all plausible options and we have an answer now.
0: Well, we definitely know now that the second book picks up mere hours, hours after days, days mere days, dozens of hours after the end of the <laughs> <laughs> after the end of the first book, wherein he finds a vault. Which you know that's kind of cool. You're looking around. You've got Anorak's castle, and you you go into the basement, open. You the You want vault. to explore a little bit. You want to find some stuff. And he finds a new technology that is going to make the game that much more immersive, that much more enjoyable, and that much more consuming. And then, and this was introduced in, in the Books A Million bit, there's the introduction of a, a new nemesis, but but basically a new dangerous foe that he's going to have to deal with. We now know... That there's a a great deal at risk, not just the Oasis, but the Oasis and the real are kind of hanging the balance of what happens next. The part that confuses me is that it goes from found technology to also realizing that there was one more Easter egg, one more thing to be found, a new contest.
2: A new prize. And
0: a new prize. And... Where does that put Wade?
2: Yeah. If he uncovers a technology hidden in Halliday's vaults that he has access to now because he won the contest, how is this riddle exposed, and how does it become a prize for anybody other than Parsifal? Yeah. Like, how do we get out of the vault? Could, could you imagine, you
0: know, being willed a billion dollars— and then after the will is done and you've got your money and your fort- fortress of solitude, then for the executor of the state to come up and go, oh, by the way, there's something that's going to throw everything you've got at risk in the will, potentially for someone else to capture. Like how much power is he going to have over the contest? Is it a contest that's beyond his control? Is it a contest he has to participate in in order to keep the oasis? I have questions.
2: Yeah, and I think if we presume that the Books a Million synopsis is absolutely a true synopsis, that one referred to a a nemesis that has risen back from the dead. Yeah, and
0: that's a little bit different than, than what we heard.
2: That's a little bit different. The book flap does not say anything about a new rival that has risen from the dead, but it does allude to mass destruction, mass death.
0: What was it? Willing to kill millions?
2: To kill, willing to kill millions. And, you know, I guess there, there's a question there about millions in the real world or millions in the Oasis again, even though if this is a few days after the battle at Castle Anorak, so a third of the Oasis is already dead and we don't know if they were given their lives back. So, you know. In some ways, I'm glad this is picking up so soon after the events.
0: I think that it's starting so soon after the first book is great because we didn't jump the shark with the love story. You know, he sits down next to her, right? And and what, they hold a hands, I think there's a kiss. We we really don't know where this relationship is going to go. And we don't want to jump so far ahead in the future that we've kind of bypassed a lot of the kind of the quirks that these kind of love stories can have before they really take off. The relationship didn't really take off. It just began, right? Just, just began,
2: potentially. And it sounds like they're not going to have much time to focus on no, it. No, not at all. <laughs> because because Wade's life and future of the Oasis are once again at stake, but also the fate of humanity. So, like, who's got time for love, Dr. Jones?
0: Yeah, the fate of humanity part is kind of... It, I, I got to wonder if it's a situation where it's like control over like the lands have already been pretty devastated as it is. The the earth is fairly trashed uh, from the beginning of the first book. So I'm trying to think like, is it a situation where the technology takes over and could potentially like blow up people, you know, like launch a sort of a third nuclear war kind of situation or eh,
2: I don't know. I think. A plausible theory would be that when they say the fate of humanity being, you know, hanging in the balance might be more of an allusion to, like, if the Oasis were turned off, you know, if he hits the big red button, the humanity is going to be in a world of shit. So so that's an option. If you look beyond that, how could the fate of humanity be so at risk?
0: Yeah, yeah. So I'm not sure if it's a situation where they're directly at risk. Or it's like a metaphorical risk, like if the oasis goes, then it trashes the economy of the real. Or if it's a situation where you're so immersed that you're immersed to the point of it being painful. So let's talk about like The Matrix, for example. The idea that once you're in, and it is completely immersive, that you die because you think you're dying. You know, if you're shot, you die for real, in the real, because your mind and your body are so connected that... It believes that it is dead.
2: Then wouldn't that be interesting if the new technology is matrix-like?
0: Yeah, yeah, that would, that be, would be interesting. That would be pretty wild.
2: Because then you did we would talk have, about
0: that? Well, we talked about we talked about how like how we might envision the technology becoming that immersive, uh, and we talked about again the timing, like how much time would have passed and how might the technology have mutated, and now we kind of realize. It's not so much that the technology's mutated, so much as it's been stored behind a vault, or behind the doors of a vault. So, I I, I don't know. I, I wonder if it's a situation where where it, the the technology can become deadly. You know, like you've got your haptic suits, and if somebody's shooting you, you might actually feel it. Might feel like you know, a, you know, a punch in the in the chest if you get shot, for example. But that doesn't kill you. But what if what if it was for real real? Like what if what if it what if the, all of a sudden the online risk became
2: predominantly real? We definitely talked at one point about somebody like hacking your haptic suit to like choke you to death. We've definitely talked about that many 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 episodes ago. Probably when we were talking about the movie because in the movie the haptic suit and all the hardware was made by IOI.
0: Right. Right. So it, it could be something like that. It could be that, that part of the technology... Because think about if you played a video game. Wouldn't you treat your game, your, your play style... Wouldn't that change dramatically if every time you lost a life, it knocked you out for a few minutes? Maybe not killed you, but let's just say zapped you and, and knocked you unconscious for a few minutes. Right? I mean, wouldn't you play that? Wouldn't Wouldn't the stakes of the game become that much greater that much more, let's say, enjoyable because the risk is higher.
2: I guess some people get, you know, their rocks off that way.
0: <laughs> well, it's it's an interesting thought. You know, the ultimate game, If you if you really want to think of life, if you want to think of life as a game, then the ultimate risks are your well-being and your health and the well-being and health of the people that are in your life that you have a connection to. Uh, and those those risks are high, high enough for you to to take precautions to to not be too risky. But, you know, in a game world, crap happens.
2: Some people probably like the higher stakes. I'm a little more risk averse.
0: I get that. I understand. I think I would be too. I I think the game would instantly become less interesting if there wasn't that feeling of invulnerability associated with it to a certain degree. Right? So I don't I don't know, but it definitely answers the question of time. Definitely puts us into a position where the characters that are, are surrounding Wade haven't could not have changed that much, right? You know, we, I could imagine we jump five years ahead, and his relationship with everyone is dramatically different, and you could start the story in a very different way. But here we're talking days. The, the relationships will have not changed all that much.
2: It'll be nice to be able to just really pick up right where we left off, where we're all so well-versed that we don't have to get backfilled anything. We didn't know before that there was another Easter egg from Halliday other than this technological advancement. So that's new.
0: Yes. Yeah, that's rather interesting. It does help to kind of narrow down the possibilities a bit.
2: So let's talk about the fact that we have one last Easter egg from Halliday. I mean, it was a pretty good Easter egg in the first book, and that was a very elaborate contest. So the fact that there's another Easter egg and another mysterious prize, I'm I'm just having, I don't know how he's going to, how this story unfolds. That's a weird narrative. Why? Like the question is, why? Why would you need to, why would
0: there need to be that? You know, uh, is it a situation where the technology that's sitting in the vault requires it to be unlocked and it requires the
2: right person to unlock it. But, but what's the prize? Like the Oasis has already been handed over. It's, it's Wade's plus everybody else's that he gave it up to. Like, what could that prize be? Like vice president of the Oasis, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, this is what's so like, what is the prize and why have another Easter egg? What prize could be greater then what has already been achieved
0: like what else is there to gain you've just now taken control of the biggest fucking company in the world and disney world what are you gonna do next nothing
2: (laughs) you've just been awarded god now what (laughs) you know
0: yeah what's left beyond that so what would be left beyond that? What if the technology allowed you to transfer you into the oasis? Some sort of neural mapping, let's say, that brings you into the oasis. That that could be the next thing that you become a, a, a full a full fledged living
2: entity within the oasis. Is it a contest to like be in the physical and technological worlds? Like I think it's Is that the mysterious prize? Like you become immortal in the oasis?
0: Say you you
2: die in the real
0: and become immortal in the oasis. That's some prize. That that is. Like, you know, because the oasis is only so real. There's only so much limit to the reality of the oasis. You know, there's there's an edge. He even talks about that the oasis is merely a, a place that has enslaved him at some point. You know, when he's when he's a little bit further and darker down the path in the book that uh, at the end of the day he still knows that he's in a haptic suit he still knows that he's connected to his hardware he still knows that he has to unstrap from his chair and go use the restroom it's a him being in the oasis at one point is a constant reminder of the fact that he is in his own a cell of his own making and and a slave to to the goal to the prize so that would be evaporated that would no longer be a thing if you could map your mind and and move from the physical to the virtual completely. And we talked about Halliday maybe having done that.
2: Yeah, so there's still, I think, up in the air, the idea of a Halliday ghost in the machine. But one of the last things that James Halliday's avatar says to Parzival is, I created the Oasis because I never felt at home in the real world. I didn't know how to connect with the people there. I was afraid all my life, right up until I knew it was ending. That was when I realized as terrifying and painful as reality can be, it is also the only place where you can find true happiness because reality is real. Do you understand? So for somebody whose last kind of quote unquote dying words to somebody were, was enjoy reality, spend time in reality because that's the only thing that's real. To create a technology that lets you transfer your consciousness into the OASIS and no longer live in reality seems... would
0: be a hypocritical move. A,
2: yeah, it would be a very hypocritical thing for somebody who said that to but do.
0: Here's the thing, though. We live in the real, real, but how do we know we're not living in a simulation? This is real to us. Like We don't have anything else to compare it to. And if you transitioned everything to, to this virtual world... How is that not just as real as what we're experiencing now? You're free from your tethers of your haptic rig and your computer. And you are living within your living, feeling, seeing, tasting within the real, within the VR. That becomes what is real. You're transitioning from one state of real to another state of real, rather than being in one state of real and then tethering into with limited feedback, with limited sensory input to the second real to the to the virtual real. So I don't think that, that it is that much of a contradiction to, to say that you know what is what is real is what is important. And if you can shift what's real from being the physical world to the VR world, well, the VR world's going to be just as real as anything else, potentially even more real.
2: I guess I, I'm so excited to to find out what's going on. See if we got any of this right.
0: I keep trying to to take these little morsels, these hints, and try and reflect them back into popular culture, into the influences that he has already mentioned. And there were a couple, you know, mentions there. Snow Crash being one example of that. And that's that is an interesting because that 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 is an interesting book because that also gets into a sort of virtual reality, and the ability for viruses, for example, to infect real people. Uh, but it, it is interesting, though. I like the concept, the idea that, that, that a thought can become a virus. And this book was before memes, right? And we see memes on a daily basis. Memes are viruses. They're, they're meant to be things that trigger us emotionally, get stuck in our memory, and are driven through social media that allows us to then share it they are the cumulative version of electronic mental viruses. They I truly do believe that a, a large number of some of the more popular memes that are out there, the misinformation that is spread, uh the little things that that just cause you to hit the like and share are incrementally harming our society from a from a a mental health perspective. And Snow Crash was kind of like that. It was this idea that you could be in the VR that you could read this text and that it would infect your mind, not just infect your character, it would infect your physical mind. And I kind of wonder when we talk about the fate of the world both in the real and VR in the Oasis, uh, you know, what could potentially cause that effect? Is it the triggering of war? you know, all la War Games? Or could it be a situation where there's something in the system that interacts with the mind so directly that it could also infect people and manipulate people and potentially kill people or make them catatonic, if you will? And that would be like a direct pull from the book that he had quoted as, as being inspirational, Snow Crash.
2: We should be looking at a transcript of the interview to see what kind of clues were left behind, and that's probably about as good a clue as any. You mentioned Snow Crash and Neuromancer.
0: Yeah, I haven't read Neuromancer yet, but...
2: Yeah, it's on my list. I mean, I guess going back to the interview, and I guess what was interesting was to hear just how much of Ready Player One was derived from Ernest Cline's own experiences like living in the trailer park. It was a pretty cool interview.
0: Yeah, yeah, it kind of makes you wonder. The first book feels more like today than than anything I had imagined after the fact, Mm. you know, for the sense of the fact that we're all online. We're all virtual. We're all doing whatever we're doing through Zoom or Skype or whatever. Uh, I say all, but that's not totally true. A lot of people. So we, we are kind of in that position. So I kind of wonder. Where else is he reaching from? Like, where is he pulling his inspiration from? Because good writers do exactly that. They write about what they know. They write about the places they know about, the things they know about. They're not talking out of their ass. They, they do get some familiarity, and they will pull from personal experiences, and he, he mentioned that specifically. So I kind of wonder, having come out of the, the first book, what experience has he had that he could potentially use as inspiration and integration into the new story?
2: the only thing that comes to mind is being kind of thrust into fame, you know, like he wrote this book and like became this kind of a, you know, nerd God or geek God and, you know, a champion of this pop culture that, you know, we grew up seeing every day. Mm. And, you know, so maybe this second book is more about that. And, you know, cause Wade is now kind of in a very godly position right now. he's, taking over for James Halliday. So yeah. maybe there's going to be some parallels like that.
0: And if he's not running the game, then maybe he has to compete in it. Maybe it's something that that, that Halliday's like, I, I need you to learn more. I need you to expand yourself. Or I need somebody else to take over this new technology from you, take it from you, potentially, who knows better how to use it. And you know, we're coming again off of the first book, which is... You know, the, the 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 keys and the gates were set up really to kind of act as like an interview process for whomever would end up coming through and taking over everything. So maybe this part is kind of an interview process for whoever is going to don the technology that, that has been hidden, that has been kept in the vault.
2: It's like uh, the ideas keep brewing and, man, I just don't know. But I, it's next month. Next month, we get to find out. It's true.
0: Yeah. Yes, and uh, I'm, I'm excited as well. And I'm excited at the fact that Will Wheaton is going to voice it. And I'm excited that Ernest Klein has opened up and begun talking because he kind of pulled a Willy Wonka where he shut down the factory, closed the gates. No one's heard from him, or I've not at least heard from him. I've not seen anything. Uh, social media has gone completely quiet. And I'd say that this is the first that I've heard of him talking about the second book or anything for that matter since all since he went dark.
2: That's true. He he hasn't gone back on uh, social media, right? Right. We haven't seen his regular handle. What is interesting though is that they a couple of days ago. This is a little bit of a side note. The book flap synopsis was not on Amazon, but now it is.
0: Oh, interesting. Okay. Is it the same that they just read?
2: It's the same one.
0: So it makes me kind of wonder if the first synopsis was legit or an accident. I
2: mean, it's close.
0: It is pretty close. Yeah, it is pretty close. It's probably legit. It's just they ended up pulling it down, and now we've got this new synopsis.
2: Yeah, so my guess is that now that that was made public, they're just going to use this one. But the book's a million synopsis must have just been an early draft of the book flap or something.
0: Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so, and my hope is that we can dig that up and kind of cross compare or merge these two synopses to, to kind of make a a better melded story between those two.
2: It, it what'll be interesting to see is like what if there were any kind of kind of false breadcrumbs in the books A Million One.
0: Yeah, like the whole you know somebody from who seemingly rose from the dead. But that's not yeah. even in the new synopsis, not even a part of it, uh, nope. which makes me wonder if the book is still even in editing potentially, you know, and certain things are being cut or, you know, included or that kind of thing. Like some things will fall on the, on the cutting room floor as it were. And I wonder if that's also the same way with uh, writing. Yeah. So what else have we got to note on this? It feels like we've, um, I think we've exhausted it. We We are left with the pulp. We have pulled the juice out of it.
2: Like, there, there's some new information from what we saw before, but not tons, just a lot more questions. Obviously, this is a highlight for, at least for us, for sure, from the New York Comic-Con. And I've seen some people being very critical that this is the same plot as Ready Player One. And I'm talking to you, io9 best. It's io9 wrote an article basically saying oh, I thought we were going to get something more interesting, but uh, we're just getting the same book over again. It's like, oh, another Easter egg. And he had nine years to work on this. You'd think he'd have a much more original story, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, first of all, go fuck yourself, Io9. You're basing this on a book flap. And second of all, you're, you you got to remember that like this book is targeting a generation that grew up watching the Back to the Future trilogy and loving it, which was the same story over and over and over again. Yeah. So how
0: many times can you go back to the? Yeah, it's
2: and and everything is derivative of of something else. So you know, and you know, I don't care if it's that similar, as long as it's a good damn story. I'm to enjoy it.
0: So long as it's a good yeah. story, you know, provide me a decent story. Like you could tell the same plot a number of different ways, and so long as as it's done well, like there are many ways to to do the same plot well. Um. I, I, basically, I'm okay with it. This is this is where he wants to take it. This isn't my story. This is this is Ernest Cline's story, and I'm kind of on I, for the ride, right? Like I'm not going to sit here and bitch. Like I I might not like it as much as the first, but the, at the end of the day, I, I'm here for the ride. I'm sold on the ride. I'm I'm the, one of the first ones in line to ride the ride. And if it's the same set of loops and spins and curves and twists, I'm okay with that. I'm cool with another ride being similar and different.
2: I think we all finish Ready Player One just wanting more. And frankly, if we got another 384 pages of Ready Player One...
0: I'd be okay with that.
2: I'll be happy as a pig in shit. Yeah. You know, yeah, I mean
0: i could I could see somebody bitching if they just didn't like the first book, and they're like, "Oh, this sounds like more of the first. Well, don't read it.
2: yeah, don't, yeah, exactly. like Joe, don't buy it, don't read it. That's cool, given the amount of time that he's had to, that he's you know he's probably been working on this for most of those nine years. I'm going to place enough faith in Ernest Klein to make a good sequel, yeah, because he knows that given his audience. They're gonna be very critical, and they have been very critical of bad sequels or bad prequels. I'm gonna, I'm gonna trust Ernie. Yep,
0: we're just gonna, I'm just gonna ride the ride, and and I'm gonna try not to compare it to the first book, uh, and we'll just see what happens. You know, it's it's. I like the first book enough that I've dedicated a lot of time to it, and you know, if he throws the same kind of energy into it, and and you know, assuming that he doesn't second-guess himself because, you know, once you get to a place where something like you capture lightning in a bottle, you've got to figure out how to do it again, right? And that can easily lead you to sort of second-guessing what you might write. Is it good enough? Uh, My hope is that he didn't succumb to that and that he just let his inspiration flow and go and that he produced similar material. I'm good with that.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, how, how do you follow up Ready Player One with another story. It was a tall order to fill. If it's half as good as the first book, I'll call that a win.
0: Yep, yep, I would agree. I would agree.
2: Well, I suppose we ought to just wrap this one up. We have a few more days to burn before we can uh, start turning some pages. And
0: Yeah, it's going to be a long read for me.
2: You're going to do it chapter by chapter? That's how. That's how we, we do should
0: it? do it. That's how at least one of us should do it. So I'm cool with that being me.
2: Wow, that's sacrifice.
0: Yeah, it it will be, but that's how we started it. That's how we started this podcast. Is one person was in the dark, one chapter at a time. It's not how we finished it. It's not how <laughs> we finished it. No, no, it most certainly was not. Uh, but it'll be fun. It'll be fun. Um, I think that'll be interesting, and and then I'll get to see you suffer, not spoiling it for me, biting your tongue or your lip to to keep from going. Ooh, you're so close. You know, I know it's going to happen. and I'm going to watch you suffer every week.
2: It's going to be great. It's going to be great. And somebody somebody asked,
0: how, how long do you think it'll take you to read? I said, well, <laughs> one chapter a week. I said it'll probably take me the better half of six or seven months.
2: <laughs> if you can hold
0: out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll certainly try. All right, well, that sounds good then. Shall we wrap up?
2: Let's wrap it up. Well, this is Chris. And this is Aaron. See ya. See ya, guys.
0: next episode just as soon as new information comes out we will be on top of it we will put something out we will talk at length on it we will suck it dry uh, as we do with every morsel that, that that comes across our plate so until then
2: that was graphic
0: yeah you're welcome until then stay hungry for the book